Well, um, the hymn writer, William Cooper, wrote the line, uh, God moves in mysterious ways. Uh, We're going to sing that hymn after the sermon today. I didn't know that when I was thinking about um, this, but whether you know that line from the hymn or not, um, that's probably a phrase most of us have heard. Um, Sometimes people say it when they recognise God's uh, sovereign work behind the scenes. Um, Sometimes people might say that, uh, you know, as a word of comfort for when we don't uh, understand maybe what God is doing. Um, It's not a phrase that you'll find anywhere in the Bible, but it is a phrase that I think rings true with our experience of who God is and the way that God uh, reveals himself to us in the scriptures. There is at times a mystery about the way that God does things. And in the chapters that we come to today uh, here in the book of Exodus, we see something of the surprising way in which God chooses to work in the world for salvation. Uh, And what I think is so surprising is that the way that God chooses to work out his good plans and purposes in the world is by choosing to do that through very ordinary people. And really that is the picture that we're given of the leader of God's people at this time, Moses. Now, of course, we think of Moses, and if you know anything of the Bible, then, of course, he's a hugely significant uh, figure. But in these chapters here, when we first meet Moses, as we see God call him to be his servant, what we see is really a pretty ordinary human being, Uh, someone full of faults and failings, uh, someone, I think, not all that different to us. And I hope that is actually an encouragement to us today because what it shows us is that God can use and God does use ordinary people like you and me to bring about his great plans and purposes in the world. And so we're going to be looking at chapters 2, 3 and 4 of Exodus today. Um, And here's uh, three things that we'll see. If you've got a newsletter, uh, they're all in your newsletter today. We'll see how Moses is uh, rescued by God. Uh, We'll see how Moses is is called uh, to serve God. And then we'll see how after a fair bit of reluctance, how Moses finally gets on with the mission that God has given him. And then in this, I think we see uh, a pattern uh, for all of God's people. Uh, Like Moses, we are saved by God's grace, saved in order to know him, uh, saved in order to serve him for his glory. And so as we uh, jump into it, the first thing we see is how Moses is miraculously rescued. Uh, Last week, as we started in Exodus, we didn't get very far at all. We only looked at chapter 1. But what we saw there was how God's people, Israel, uh, had grown greatly in number, but they're now suffering in slavery in in Egypt. And Pharaoh, we saw at the end of chapter 1, if you look there, uh, chapter 1, verse 22... Uh, Pharaoh had given this terrible order saying that every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile. Um, And then as we come into chapter 2, well, the very first thing we read is about the birth of a baby boy. Uh, 2 verse 1, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, of course, this is uh, one of the most uh, famous stories in the Bible. Moses' uh, parents, um, they do all that they can to protect their son. Um, We're told that for three months they're able to hide him. Uh, But soon, I guess as he grows, maybe gets a bit louder, um, another way is needed. 
And so probably in desperation, Moses' mum makes a little um, basket or a a little boat. Um, It's the same word that's used for Noah's ark. Uh, She puts her son in it and hides him among the reeds at the edge of the river. And what happens next is really God's ironic way of rescuing Moses. Um, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river Um, She sees the basket, she opens it, she hears the baby crying and she's filled with compassion. Uh, Meanwhile, older sister Miriam has been watching on. Uh, She comes over and offers to Pharaoh's daughter to find someone to nurse the baby and Moses is taken back to his own mum to uh, be raised in his own home until he's old enough to go and live with Pharaoh's daughter in the palace. It's kind of a nice moment for Mother's Day, isn't it, to think about that. And so this is how God saves um, Moses from that terrible order that Pharaoh had given. And really I think what we see here in this rescue of Moses is a foretaste of what God will soon do for all of his people. And uh, at the end of chapter 2, if you look over there, um, uh, so over the page, verse 22, verse 23, uh, we see here, well, not just uh, one baby crying, um, but we see now all of the Israelites crying out for help because of their great need. And we're told that their cry goes up to God. um, And as it does, verse 24, well, God hears. um, God remembers his covenant. Not that he forgot, but that just means that God is about to act. And it says God looks on his people and was concerned about them. Now, the NIV there, I think, is a little bit um, weak um, when it says that. Literally, at the end there, it is God knows, which is an expression of his great care and his commitment. He is filled with compassion for his people because this is God's heart. And so this is what leads to his gracious rescue of his people. And if you think about that for us, I mean, this is Jesus' heart. Uh, When Jesus looked at the people, he was filled with compassion. And it's this compassion and mercy of God as he sees us in our need. Well, this is why he sends his son, so that we, like Moses, like Israel, can be rescued and brought into the safety of God's care. So our God is a saving God and his means of saving his people here in Exodus will be through Moses. And in these early chapters of Exodus, they um, teach us about Moses' early life and how God calls him to be the leader of his people. Um, There's a couple of passages in the New Testament that also uh, spell this out and give us some other details. So um, Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7 gives a lot of details about Moses' story. Um, Also the heroes of faith chapter in in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Um, There's a couple of uh, verses there from Hebrews 11 which I thought's worth reading. Um, It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now really that's a summary of what we see recounted here um, in Exodus. 
So firstly, in chapter 2, we skipped over a bit, so go back to chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, We see there how Moses grows up in um, the house of Pharaoh, which would have had all kinds of uh, privileges and and benefits. Um, But Moses chooses to identify not with the Egyptians, but with the Israelites. And we're told that one day when Moses... Uh, sees um, an Egyptian who is uh, beating one of the Hebrews. Well, Moses steps in and and he kills the Egyptian. Um, He then tries to cover it up, uh, but very soon what he's done is is made known and even Pharaoh finds out, and so Moses finds himself on the run. Um, He then lives in Midian. Um, He's a shepherd. Um, he, he, he goes into the desert and, um, and, and is often the case in the Bible. Moses um, meets his wife at a well. So that's sort of what's recounted for us in chapter 2. But then as we jump into chapter 3, well, God, having heard the cries of his people, he now reveals himself to Moses and calls Moses to be the leader of his people. And the way that God gets Moses' attention is in this scene of the burning bush. Um, So take a look at verse 2 of chapter 3. It says this there, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, certainly that would get your attention, wouldn't it? Um, Fire often in the Bible is a symbol of God's presence and God's holiness. Um, Later on at the end of Exodus, we'll see God leading his people in a pillar of fire. Um, But here this is a a supernatural way that God speaks and reveals his plans and commissions Moses as the leader of his people. Um, So in verse 7, if you jump down there, the Lord says this, Indeed, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So this is God's plan to redeem his people. And then in verse 10, this is what he says to Moses. He says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, as I read that, I mean, you think, what a scene. Uh, What a moment. And who of us wouldn't love to have that kind of experience of God? You know, for God to appear in that special way, to to hear God's voice. And, And I mean, surely if we had that kind of experience, wouldn't we be so on fire for God that we would just do whatever it was that he asked us to do? Well, how does Moses respond to that? Well, it's pretty much the opposite. 
And over the next chapter or so, it is excuse after excuse after excuse as Moses argues back to God and tries to get out of it. Uh, It starts in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now what we see here is that each time Moses makes an excuse, God responds with words of reassurance. So this is Moses' first excuse. Don't pick me. I'm no one significant. But what does God say? He says, I'll be with you and I will act. I will bring my people to this very mountain to worship me. Well, then it's excuse number two, verse 13. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? And it's here that God explains to Moses his personal name, I am. In Hebrew, it's this word Yahweh which is how we, we normally translate that as the word Lord in our Bibles. And this phrase, I am who I am, you see in a footnote there, could also be translated, I will be who I will be. This is God saying, if you want to understand who I am, well, you have to watch what I do. And as we do watch God act, well, the way that God reveals himself is as saviour to his people, Yahweh the Lord, the Saviour. And so it's no surprise that later on when Jesus is born, well, that is his name. Now, Matthew 1, the angel speaks to Joseph and says, you will give him the name Jesus, which means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. So no excuse here, Moses. Tell them I am has sent you. And through the rest of chapter 3, God then tells Moses exactly what he does need to say and do. In verse 20, he explains how he's going to perform many wonders to compel Pharaoh to let the people go. But now see the start of chapter 4. Here's Moses' next excuse. Moses answered, Well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? And so now to reassure him again, well, God gives Moses two miraculous signs to perform. Um, The first is to throw his staff on the ground and he does and it turns into a snake and he's scared of the snake so he runs away. But then God tells him to pick it up and he picks it up and it turns back into a staff again. Then from verse 6, the second sign is to put his hand into his cloak and it becomes leprous. Um, And then when he puts it back in again, his hand is restored. And then there's like this extra bonus sign. God gives a bonus one in verse 9. He says, if, the first, if they don't listen to the first ones, we'll take some water out of the Nile and pour it on the ground and it will turn into blood. And of course, all of these signs are like a mini version of the power of God that will be revealed in the next few chapters. But that's what we'll think about next week. But what we see here is that Moses just keeps on making excuses. So in verse 10, I mean, having been assured of God's presence, having heard God's name, having been given these signs to perform, well, in verse 10, he now says, well, God, look, I'm just not a heaps confident public speaker. So in 4 verse 10, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, 
nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. But again, God reassures him. Who do you think gave you your mouth? (laughs) He says. Who do you think opens people's ears so that they listen? God says, it's me and I'll go with you and I will help you and I will teach you exactly what you need to say. But is that enough for Moses? Well, I mean, there's one final excuse here in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Friends, I don't know how you normally imagine Moses. Um, I don't think Hollywood has helped us with this much. I mean, there's been a few movies made of Exodus, which means uh, maybe you picture Moses like one of these guys, you know, maybe like the courageous Charlton Heston from the Ten Commandments or um, more recently there was the Gods and Kings movie. So maybe you think of him more like Christian Bale there. Now, often I think we have in our minds these pictures of these you know, brave, strong, courageous leaders, these heroes of the Bible. But often, you know, that's actually a long way from the biblical text. These so-called heroes of the Bible, you know, whether it's Abraham or Moses or David, I mean, pick any of them. They're all full of faults and failings. And here the God who is slow to anger, I mean, he's just about run out of patience with Moses' excuses. And I love God's solution here. Maybe it's because I've got a twin brother, but, you know, this seems to me like the ultimate insult. God says, okay, then, I'll get your brother to help you do it. Uh, He can be your mouthpiece, but you pick up your staff and get on with the job. Now, look, my point in highlighting Moses' weakness is not to make fun of him, but rather to help us see that the way that he is presented is as a very ordinary human being, but someone who God chooses and someone who God uses to bring about extraordinary things. And I hope that might be an encouragement to us because we might feel at times pretty ordinary. We might feel insignificant. I mean, who am I? We might feel like no one will listen. We might feel like we're not great at speaking. We might feel like saying, God, maybe you should just pick someone else. But you know what? God is patient and he is faithful and he stuck with Moses and he used him for his glory and he will stick with us and use us for his glory as well. Because this is God's somewhat mysterious way of working out his plans and purposes in the world. Now we might think it would be better for God to use some a celebrity, you know, some courageous leader, some powerful communicator. But time after time throughout the Bible, God uses the ordinary for his glory. He takes a reluctant Moses and turns him into the redeemer of his people. And in the Gospels, he takes a bunch of disciples who are described as unschooled, ordinary men 
and he turns them into messengers of the gospel that turn the world upside down. And today in the church, this is what uh, Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 1. He, He writes this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And this is what Paul the Apostle then goes on to say about himself. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power and there i think is the answer to the mystery god chooses and god uses weak people like you and me so that one we cannot boast about our own strength or effort or merit and two so that we would trust in god's power to save and friends because god does save i mean that's why we can stop making excuses And as we see here in Moses, that's how we can get over ourselves and get on with the mission. And that's what we see now at the end of chapter 4. After this encounter with the Lord in the burning bush, Moses returns um, and collects his family and he begins to start out on his way back to Egypt. But as he does, we come across this somewhat, I think, confusing episode in verse 24. Uh, where we're told that the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Let me read it there. Uh, Verse 24, it says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. And so the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now, you read that, and it does seem like an odd moment, doesn't it? When God has just commissioned Moses to be the rescuer of his people, and then just a a page later, well, we're told that God is about to kill him. Uh, So what's going on here? Well, I think this is a lesson to us about faithfulness. Because the issue here seems to be that Moses' son, or one of them, is not circumcised. Now we know from Genesis that um, under the old covenant, circumcision was the sign that God had given to his people. Every male eight days old had to be circumcised, and failure to do that was punishable by death. And so as Moses is about to take up the leadership of God's people... Well, it is necessary that he is faithful to God by keeping the requirements of the covenant. And that's why there's this abrupt confrontation at this moment. And of course, I mean, 
Similarly for us, I mean, how necessary is faithfulness and obedience for us as God's people today? I mean, if we're going to be part of God's mission, part of God's work in the world, if that is going to have any integrity, then as God's people, those who represent him, we are called to live lives of obedience and faithfulness to him. And that is true not just for leaders of God's people, but for all of God's people. Now, it's interesting that in the New Testament, there's lots of passages that we might think about that you know, give instructions about the character qualities for leaders. But those character traits you'll find are expected of each and every one of God's people. For all of us, God calls us to faithfully represent him in the way that we live and serve him in the world. And so I think that Moses learns that lesson here. And then finally, as he does, well, then it's time to get on with the mission. Uh, We see that he's reunited with his brother Aaron. And then they together, in verse 29, gather together all the elders in Israel. Um, And then in verse 30, it says this, that Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before uh, the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Well, um, I know we've uh, covered a fair bit today, so let me just try and draw some of the threads together. What have we seen today? We've seen God's miraculous rescue of Moses. Uh, We've seen that Moses was really a pretty ordinary person, not that different to you and me. We've seen the necessity of faithfulness for God's people. And we've seen that God has a great plan to use ordinary people to bring about his saving purposes in the world. And friends, that is the plan that is unfolding today as God now uses us, his church, to make known his name and to declare his salvation in a world that is held in captive to sin. And so as we think about being part of God's mission in the week ahead, well, like Moses needed reassurance, let me leave you with this. I'd want to say that we actually stand in a far more privileged position than Moses did. So maybe you read these chapters and you think, you know, how amazing that would be for God to speak from a burning bush. But, you know, we have received so much greater a revelation than that about who God is. We have had God come to us in the flesh and he has spoken to us and he has revealed himself to us now in these last days fully and finally in the person of his son. You know, Moses was given that personal name of God, that name I am, which told about God's future purpose to save. But we have been given the name Jesus. And we have seen his salvation. We have seen his cross. And that great demonstration of the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And as we are sent out now, we're like Moses, we're sent with the promise of God's presence. Well, God is now given us that promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And he couldn't be any closer. 
for he's poured his spirit into our hearts. Friends, it is mysterious, I think, the way that God chooses to work in the world through people like you and me. But may we be reassured today of God's mercy, of his grace, of his empowering presence. And may we get on with the mission. So let me pray that God would help us this week um, to live as his people, showing his love and sharing the good news of his salvation. Uh, Let's uh, pray together. Our Father God, we do thank you today for your great kindness in calling us to belong to you, uh, to be your people. And so in this week ahead, we pray that we would know your, your presence with us, your grace toward us, uh, your purpose for us, that we would live for you to bring praise to our Saviour Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.